Today's uh, scripture reading is from the book of Amos, and uh, in case your Bibles don't automatically open to that, it's on uh, page 817 in the uh, Bibles you'll find under the seat in front of you. So uh, I'll be reading from Amos 8, verse uh, 4 to 10, and 9, verse 7 to 15. Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and do away with the poor of the land, asking, when will the new moon be over, so we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, so we we may market wheat. We can reduce the measure while increasing the price, and cheat with with dishonest scales. We can buy the poor with silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals, and even sell the chaff. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget their deeds. Because of this, won't the land quake and all who dwell in it mourn? All of it will rise like the Nile. It will surge and then subside like the Nile in Egypt. And in that day, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the land in the daytime. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will cause everyone to wear sackcloth and every head to be shaved. I will make that grief like mourning for an only son, and its outcome like a bitter day. Chapter 9, verse 7. Israelites, are you not like the Cushites to me? This is the Lord's declaration. Didn't I bring Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaftar, and the Arameans from Kerr? Look, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will obliterate it from the face of the earth. However, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. This is the Lord's declaration. For I am about to give the command that will shake the house of Israel among all the nations, as one shakes a sieve. But not a pebble will fall to the ground. All the sinners among my people who say disaster will never overtake or confront us will die by the sword. In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it. as in the days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. This is the declaration of the Lord. He will do this. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes, the sower of seed. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will never plant, sorry, I will plant them on their land and they will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Kevin. I have the uh, great task of explaining that passage this morning. What a great morning already. Thanks, Martin and Nikki. Or, that wasn't Nikki. I'm used to saying Martin and Nikki. Chelsea? Martin, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing. We're just thrilled to celebrate with you God's work in your lives and in your families over the years. And so, um, as Jeff mentioned earlier in our, uh, in our gathering, this is the first Sunday in the church calendar year, Advent 
is the uh, beginning of the church calendar year. Advent is a time of waiting, a time of expectation, a time of, um, of longing and of cultivating hope, waiting for salvation, waiting for deliverance. And, uh, and so we, uh, as followers of Jesus, live between his comings, between the, arri- the first arrival of Jesus as he came, uh, uh, born into a manger in Bethlehem, he came and lived this beautiful life and uh, for 33 years in the land of Israel was crucified, we believe buried, raised again and ascended on high and we believe he's coming again. That he has come to begin to, he came to usher in his kingdom, to declare his kingdom, to uh, proclaim it and to secure it through his death and resurrection and he will return again, he will come again to usher in that kingdom in all of its fullness. And so we, we lay in this, this in-between period where we look forward to his coming again, where we look forward to this kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace that will be forever and ever, where the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And so Advent is a a time for us to cultivate that longing and that hope, that waiting and expectation. And so uh, we, this uh, Advent series uh, we're we're calling The Promised One, we are going to enter into the experience of uh, God's people in the Old Testament as they awaited the first coming of Jesus. And and God gave uh, the people of Israel these prophets. These, uh, these men and women who, who rose up uh, to speak out promises to Israel that God was indeed going to come and rescue them. That there was one who was going to come, an anointed one, one who was sent by God to accomplish God's purposes to be the, what the Israelites called the Messiah, or in the Greek, the Christ. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It's his title. He's the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior King who's been promised for centuries before. And so one of those prophets is uh, the prophet Amos. And I'm going to try to summarize a bit of this book of Amos that we've read from uh, today for us and describe that message and the promise uh, of one who is to come. And if I would describe it, if I could uh, distill it down, the, the promised one for our Amos is one who will come to heal. Heal the land of injustice and oppression and cruelty. And will usher in a renewed creation, a renewed world, that will, where, where there will be no more poverty, no more uh, cruelty, no more oppression, no more hatred and racism, no more mourning, no more death, no more sickness. And when you read the book of Amos, and I think, of course, as a pastor, I'll encourage you to read the Bible. It, uh, it's, it's a pretty confusing book, and it feels like a bit of a downer. It feels like judgment upon judgment upon God promising, I'm coming and I'm coming to get you. And it, you are not going to escape. It's not going to be pretty. I'm coming to rain down fire on you. I'm coming to rain down judgment on you. And yet, and yet, Amos is full of these little promises, these glimpses of a promised one who would come to renew and to restore, to heal. 
Amos was a prophet sent to the northern kingdom. So um, King David was followed by King Solomon, and they ruled over all the 12 tribes of Israel. And shortly after Solomon uh, was king, the, the kingdom divided into the 10 tribes in the north and two tribes in the south, and they each had their own king. Amos was sent to the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes, who had their, uh, their capital in Samaria. It was a, uh, he was sent at a time of incredible affluence for uh, the nation of Israel. So the, the, the great superpowers that surrounded Isra- uh, Israel at the time were, were kind of in a, a period of decline, both Egypt and Assyria. And so Israel had claimed uh, stake to a number of trade routes. And, uh, and so there was incredible affluence flowing into the country. The problem was is that all of the affluence was going to one class of people, to the professional class, to the upper class, and the working class were being passed by. The working class were being left out. And so there was this growing uh, disparity between the working class and the professional class, between the rich and the poor. And God calls this not just unfortunate, not just the rich being stingy or cheap. He calls this injustice. The, the book of Amos is really a description of a world of injustice, a society of injustice. Do you notice those opening words that Roger read from Amos 8, verse 4? It says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and do away with the poor of the land. And he, and he, and he describes them scheming and dreaming about how we can, you know, reduce the measure and increase the price so people can pay more for getting less. It talks about silver. We can, we can buy the poor with silver. Silver is a synonym for a huge debt or a, a loan. So if, if someone was not able to afford some of the necessities of life, they could um, give themselves into indentured servitude, become the servant of someone who would loan them some money until they could pay it back. They'd work off the loan. And so he's talking about these rich folk who um, have, have driven up the price so much so, they have such incredible buying power that uh, the, the, they, they charge so much that the working class couldn't even afford the necessities of life. And so they just go deeper and deeper into debt, into servitude, actually. The thing is, God had structured society so that this would not happen. He had gleaning laws. He had a Sabbath year where every six years, uh, all debts were to be forgiven. And so God calls this not just stinginess or greediness. He calls this injustice. If you look at Amos 5, 21, he's, um, he's calling out those who uh, would still participate in religious uh, ceremonies and, and feasts and, and worship services. He, he says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I can't, I will not accept them. I'll have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fattened cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the music of your harps. But why? But let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Who quoted that? Famous speech. Martin Luther King, I have a dream, right? I have a dream. I stood on this very spot where this summer I stood on the spot where Martin Luther King Jr. Um, 
spoke these words. It was a very moving moment for me, actually, to stand in that spot. Quote from the I Have a Dream speech. There are those asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? He says, we can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. He says, we can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by Stein stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. It's an example of what Amos is talking about. That, that, there's, that there can be structures in society that actually just are unjust and that keep pushing people down. That there's structures, society can be structured in such a way that it's meant to keep people down in poverty. And those in the upper or middle class look down on those in the, in the, in the lower class, look down on the homeless, look down on those who are down and out and who can't, can't seem to get back up and say, oh, it's your own fault. And yet as you get to know them and you learn the, some of the structures, even of our which in many ways we have this incredible society, incredible social structures, incredible help and relief, and yet there's still ways in which it's structured to just keep people down. Keep people down. But it's not only society. It's also personal. It's, also, it's not just social. It's also personal. Maybe you own a business. You have employees. Is the question, how little can I pay them? Or is your question, how, how can I actually pay them enough so that they can make a great life for themselves? You know, the, the Old Testament has really these two categories of people, the righteous and the wicked. And one of the great ways in which the righteous and the, the wicked are uh, differentiated throughout the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, the, throughout the prophets, through the Psalms, one of the great ways that the righteous and the wicked are differentiated is that the wicked see their possessions as theirs and for them and spending it on themselves. Whereas the righteous see what has been entrusted to them and what has been given to them as belonging not just to them, but as belonging to the entire society, to the entire entire community. And so they love to plow their resources and plant their resources back in to the communities in which they live and work. To share. To share their wealth. To be generous. And it's not just charity according to the scripture it's justice it's justice maybe you're thinking well kevin are you a communist i'm just preaching god's word and i'm not sure god's word is capitalist i'm not sure it's communist either just to and we say yeah but maybe you're saying yeah you know what greed Greed is a problem. 
Greed is bad. Greed is a problem. But here's the truth. Not one of us in this room thinks that we are the greedy. No one's greedy. The greedy is always someone else. I've been a pastor for over eight years, and I have had dozens and dozens and dozens of people come to me with all kinds of problems and all kinds of character flaws and asking for help. No one has ever come and said, Kevin, I'm greedy. Can you help me? Never. The greedy are always someone else. Someone who maybe makes a little bit more money than me. I'm just making ends meet. Greedy is always someone else. The book of Amos has a particular contempt for those who um, who foster injustice, whether personally or social or both, but who have a veneer of religion. The 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 book of Amos is a devastating book for people who give token attention to God, for religious hypocrites. Again, verse uh, chapter 8, verse 4 and 5, verse 5, he says, you know, hear this, you who trample on the needy and do away with the poor of the land. Asking, when will the new moon be over so we can sell grain? When will the Sabbath be over so we can market wheat? What are those things? What are the new moons and Sabbaths? Worship services. Their bodies are kneeling. They're in the form of worship, but their hearts are looking for profit. Dreaming of when can we get back to making money. Now, there's nothing wrong with marketing wheat. There's nothing wrong with selling grain. But these guys are just chomping at the bit for the service to be over. They're going through their religious motions. Their bodies are kneeling, but their hearts are dreaming of profit. As I said, the book of Amos is a devastating book for people who give token attention to God. Through their assemblies, through their singing of songs, but whose hearts are far from God. Whose hearts are more genuinely engaged by sports. whose hearts are more genuinely engaged with business and families or hobbies. William Temple, an archbishop in the Anglican Church, said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. When you have nothing to do, when you're alone, when you're waiting at the doctor's office and when you're waiting for a bus or when you're lying in bed, when you have nothing to do, what is your heart going to? What are you dreaming of? What are you thinking about? your heart naturally go to. That's what you really love. And God says, verse 7 of chapter 8, he says, I swear by the pride of Jacob. And you say, well, what's, what's that all about? This, this is God being sarcastic. When you swear an oath, when these people swore an oath in that, in that culture, they swore by something unchanging. I swear by the sun and the moon and the stars. I swear by the mountains. I swear by... God swears by himself who is unchanging. Here he's saying, I'm swearing by the pride of my people, Jacob, I'm su- because they're so proud. They're so self-centered. It's unchanging. It's like the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains. It's not going anywhere. I'm so, they're self-centered. They're experts in loving themselves. 
And so the book of Amos uh, encourages us and forces us, if we pay attention to it, to examine ourselves, not just the emotions of our heart, not just did I go to church, did I read my Bible, did I you know, perform some religious duties, but have the actions and the direction of my life actually borne fruit and shown itself in generosity, spending time and plowing my life, planting my life into the lives of others, spending money not just on myself, but giving it away. So the book of Amos seems like a real downer. Seems like a book of conviction, almost like a book of judgment. It is a book of judgment in many ways. But there's a hope of healing. The book of Amos has the hope of healing. It promises the return of the king. Verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 11, he says, I'll restore the fallen shelter of David. I'll restore the broken down tent of, er, of David, the king. The line of David was promised a king who will rule forever and ever. And he says, I'm going to restore that day. There's a coming Savior King in the line of David who will bring not only a restored nation, a restored kingdom, but who will restore creation, who will make all things new, who will heal this world. Verse 13, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When the plowman will overtake the reaper, the one who treads grapes will overplow the sower of seed. The mountains will drip with sweet wine. All the hills will flow with it. He's bringing in a healed world. You see, in this culture, in that, in that climate, you plowed in October, you sowed seed in December, you harvested in March, and you made wine in June. And God's saying, can you imagine coming to October and the harvesters are not yet done because there's so much harvest. There's so much abundance. There's no scarcity whatsoever. In, in fact, there's, so, there's such an abundance of harvest, the hills are flowing with wine. The hills, it's, they're dripping with sweet wine. I know you can't grow up on those hills because the air's too thin and the soil's too shallow, but in this renewed world, the hills are dripping. You see, Amos speaks of a king who's coming to heal this world, socially and physically where there will be no more hunger, no more poverty, no more injustice, no more oppression, no more cruelty or hatred, no more disease or death or war. You see, every other religion in this world thinks this world is either an illusion or that this world is going to burn up. But only in Christianity do we have a God who loves this material world enough that he became part of it. And that the future salvation is ordinary life in a healed creation, in a restored and renewed creation. That the physical life, you know, the the kingdom, heaven, the kingdom of heaven is not some disembodied reality where we're floating on clouds and reading each other's minds. The the kingdom of heaven is, 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 is ordinary life, but healed. There's eating and drinking, there's music and dancing. And we say, who is this coming king? Well, in Acts chapter 15, followers of Jesus got together in a council in Jerusalem. And they quote this. Amos chapter 9 and say, this is all about Jesus. This is about Jesus. Jesus is that coming king who has come now to heal creation. 
heal this world of injustice. Okay, Amos is a book of judgment. But Jesus didn't come to bring judgment. He came to take judgment. He didn't come. Jesus says, I came not to condemn the world, but so that the world would live through me. He came not to bring judgment. He came to take it. He came as a victim of injustice. Born in a feed trough, a refugee, poor, betrayed, wrongfully convicted. He suffered for us and he suffered with us. He's the only one who can truly say, I deserve justice, but was condemned so that we who deserve condemnation can receive justice, flourishing, fullness. See, and the beauty of it is that he was the wronged party. He was the one whom these offenses were ultimately against. As his creation declared war on him, fired the first shot, turned their back on him, rebelled against him. And he came not to bring judgment, but to bear it. To bear it. He gave all of his resources and he planted them into our lives so that we can see an easy person and say, that's me. Jesus gave up all for me. As the Apostle Paul writes, he says, though he was rich for our sake, he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. So we can be but we cannot, as followers of Jesus, be passive about things like hunger and sickness and injustice. And so as a church, as, a, as the community of God's people, we preach the gospel that changes hearts. You see, sometimes injustice is the result of evil people. Self-centered people. Greedy people. And the gospel of Jesus alone can change the hearts of of greedy people and make them generous can change the hearts of self-centered people and make them other-centered to love God and love their neighbor it's the gospel of Jesus alone that can do that and so as a church we preach the gospel and we work to see justice so we help those who are oppressed those who are hurt and lonely those who are sick thinking even of some work that Jeff was doing this week and others involved with him and just there is injustice in our society where people are taking advantage of others and there's a societal structural problems and we can work together to actually see justice flow like the river. See, the calling of the church of Jesus is to, is to look forward to that kingdom of God that's coming, that Jesus will usher in in its fullness when he returns, this kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace, and say, what the, that, what's that kingdom going to be like in, we, in that future kingdom? And we take that future kingdom and we pull it into the present in increasing ways. There will be no more injustice in that, in that future coming kingdom. And so we, we, we work and strive to pull that into the present so that we deal with injustice now. There will be no more poverty in the future, that future coming kingdom, and so we pull that into the present now and work against poverty now. There will be no more ignorance of God, but everyone will know God, and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Everyone will know God, and so we work 
against ignorance of God now, into the present. We pull that coming kingdom into the present. And we do so together, pooling our time, pooling our resources, pooling our gifts, serving this world, knowing that the coming healer has already come and has promised to come again. So would you pray with me? So Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us into the kind of people in increasing ways who bring healing to this creation and to the society, the societies of this world. We want to use our lives, Lord, not on ourselves. We don't want to spend our time only on ourselves. We don't want to spend our money only on ourselves. We don't want to use our gifts only to build up our own reputation, Lord. We want to use our lives in the service of making Jesus known in this world and and bringing justice, seeing relief from poverty, seeing relief from oppression, to wow us again with the, the news of who Jesus is and all that he's come to do. Jesus, you are the king. You're the king who's going to return to heal this world. And so equip us to do your work in this world. We pray in Jesus' great name.